Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You know, I'm just shocked at the ignorance of some people and the want to to make everything racial. Deadspin is the latest, and... Well, they're going to get sued by a kid named Holden Armenta and his family. We'll get into it and tell you why anytime you hear hire a lady named Julie DiCarlo, your operation sucks. Are college coaches fleeing as fast as they can? The answer is yes. College football to get where? The NFL and I ain't mad at him. Guess where Nick Saban is going to end up? We'll tell you all this and more. I'm wearing my Colts shirt because, well, they're not going to be in the Super Bowl and I feel like supporting the NFL. Don't at me, stars. I don't know right now. You know, you're supposed to set up the show when I do that little intro, and I did not even tell you that the funky QB named... The funky QB who's named McMahon, or whatever the hell it was back in 85, Jim McMahon is going to join us and talk about, and I'm being serious here, his run for president. No, I'm serious. He and Kyle Turley are, t- are running on the Cannabis Liberation Party. And they're serious. And they're actually kind of smart. And you're going to kind of like the interview. I think you are. But tell you what we don't like. We don't like race baiters. You know, the liberal white woman that thinks she's above everybody and going to get down for the cause. Yo, that woman's name is big old Julie DiCarlo. Julie DiCarlo and Karan Phillips, who is the writer gone horrible but trying so desperately hard to be an activist. You've never heard of either, probably, or maybe you went and ate continually with Julie DiCarlo when you were at Indiana. She is an Indiana product that we don't claim. She's a perpetual victim, and Caron Phillips is just the worst of the worst. I mean, he's been fired from every single job he's ever had. They decided that they were going to come at a little boy, a nine-year-old boy named Holden Armenta, because what was Holden's crime? Well... As a Native American, which Holden is, and that's important to keep track of, Holden decided to dress up traditional headdress, and you're going to say, if you're dead spin, blackface. That's no freaking blackface. They know blackface. That's one side of his face painted black, and the other side, as you're going to see here, painted red. Why would you paint your face red or black? Well, that's the colors of the Chiefs. But, of course, Deadspin and the idiotic Weight Watcher needing Julie DiCarlo decided, well, me and Caron Phillips, we think this is racist. This is racist. This is disgusting. This is horrible. Let me ask you a question. Just a simple question. In what world is this right here horrible? In what world is this a bad thing? I don't give a damn if you're one of those that thinks you need to protect the entire Native American world. In what world is a nine-year-old boy dressed up to go to the Kansas City Chiefs game in Kansas City Chiefs gear 
In what world is that a negative, much less being an incredibly racist thing that a national publication that Deadspin has to write article after article on? In what world? Well, the Karan Phillips, Julie DiCarlo world, the world of the worst of the worst, the world of the wildebeest, awful, horrible people doing awful, horrible things. And it's one thing, look, uh, DiCarlo and Phillips have come after me to the point where me coming back at them have made them cry because they are exactly what you thought they were, useless posses. But the fact of the matter is, nobody comes after a nine-year-old boy. Who in the hell comes after a nine-year-old boy? Who would want to come after a nine-year-old boy? Who is so warped in the head that they would think that a nine-year-old boy wearing red and white or black and red on his face is bad. Bad to the point where, listen to this, these adults, can you go back to the first picture, uh, guys, where adults have to spin it like this. This was the picture that was shown. This was the picture where this little boy, Holden, was called a racist. Now, this is doctored. Like everything else in the media, if it doesn't fit the narrative, we'll make it fit your narrative. And that's exactly what they did here. Because go to the next picture. The next picture shows you what it absolutely was. This is the worst of the worst among us. And the fact of the matter is, Big Fat Julie and racist Pig Caron have never apologized. Never apologized. They've never said, yeah, you know what? We screwed that up. So now they're getting sued. Here's what's going. Wherefore, this is the lawsuit. Plaintiffs respect, uh, respectfully request that the court enter judgment in the plaintiff's favor and against the defendant for, here it is, they want, here's what they want, awarding the Amenta family actual and presumed damages to be specifically determined at trial. They want a trial good for them. Awarding the Amenta family punitive and or exemplary damages, awarding the Amenta family a narrowly tailored injunction prohibited the republication of any statement or image adjudicated to be false or defamatory. They don't want this back out on Twitter. They don't want it continually posted. Don't blame them. People are pigs. All right? Uh, here, we're awarding the Armenta family at all costs, distributions, fees, and interests as authorized by law and such other and additional remedies as the court may deem just and proper. A jury trial is demanded. Boy, would I love to see this. Boy, would I love to see old Julie Waddle up there. Boy, would I love to see old Corot. Now, you got to understand, the other side has something too. The other side, oh, there's two sides. I tell you this all the time, in every action, there is another side. And I always try to hear the other side. The other side, Deadspin, these dip, shit, piece, pass, awful, horrific. Can I stop now? You get my point. Human beings, I'm not even thinking they're human beings. They're subhuman beings to go after a nine-year-old boy. The lawsuit says Deadspin threatened to sue the Armenta family. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you read that correctly. We're going to take a nine-year-old boy. We're going to take a nine-year-old boy, fake that he was in blackface, make his life miserable, and sue you, the family, because you complained. These are the worst human beings alive. Deadspin's lawyers threaten the Armana family with a counter-legal action should Ruel and Shannon, the parents, attempt to hold Phillips and Deadspin accountable for their false 
and defamatory article. Well, the lawsuit continues. Deadspin did not retract the article, and it did not apologize. So follow me here. Kid goes to a game. Nine-year-old boy, big fan, Native American boy. Puts on a headdress, puts on his jersey. Paints one side of his face black, the other side of his face red. He's got all the stuff. You know, no different than that Buckeye guy or every guy that dresses up and goes to a game, whether it's the Raiders guy, Colts guy has one. Everybody's got one, right? And for whatever the reason, Deadspin and Caron Phillips decide that this is a bad thing, this is a racist thing, and they doctor a photograph to only show one side. Then they have the nuts on them, and it's actually not nuts, it's cowardice, to say to the family, you're mad? You mad? Then we're going to sue you for being mad. Nah. As Clay says, get ready for bankruptcy, Deadspin. You certainly have earned it. Look, when Julie DiCarlo, who is involved in this as well, by calling Bobby Barack and others racist and saying that African-Americans can be racist in her big, fat, warped world, I got to tell you, I dislike this woman more than I dislike uh, the current state of my colon. Which, because I've been taking uh, and I'm weaning off of prescription meds, is all clogged up and I'm not happy with it. That's the disdain I have for Julie freaking DiCarlo. She is my colon right now. Just a big, fat ball of stuffed crap. (laughs) Hey, Aaron, you didn't think you were going to hear that comparison today, did you? Huh? That's why you watch this show. You never know what's coming, people. That's right. Hey, we're going to sue you because you're mad that we defamed you. I would say the ball's on them. And Julie probably got them. Anyway, NFL coaches, be warned. College coaches are coming for your job. They are. They should. Why not? Look, you're sitting there in college. You're the head coach of Boston College. Your name is Jeff Halfley. And you're like, all right, what do I got to do today? Think about this. This is college college sports. Well, I got this one player. I got to recruit him to stay. Now, we've only kissed his ass for three years. I got to go recruiting. I got to go raise money for NIL, which means I got to talk to every businessman that wore his letterman's jacket. You know, there's a guy here in Indy uh, named Cohen. He wears his little tennis jacket. He's got a lot of money. Everybody's supposed to kiss his ass. I would rather take a beating with a baseball bat by a mob than have to kiss these guys' ass, these penny millionaires at Indiana or anywhere else. But that's what you got to do. You got to go kiss these guys' ass. And then you got to try to figure out how to put together a roster and then... And only then you got to hire assistant coaches who now have agents who are trying to get out. The world of college sports is a mess. And then you got mommies and daddies and you got agents and players and it's just horrible. You know what you want to do if you're Jeff Halfley, who's the head coach at Boston College? Screw this. I'm going to go be a coordinator in the NFL. Hey, I'll get up at four in the morning. I'll go do that. I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid of nothing. I'll go to work, but I don't have to recruit the idiots. I don't have to recruit the idiots to stay on my own team. I don't have to sit there and listen to some guy that wasn't good enough to play at Alabama, but he's good enough to help us win a few games at Boston College tell me how good he is. I don't have to do it. 
Now, you got to understand, so Jeff Hafley leaves, Jim Harbaugh leaves, and don't think Jim Harbaugh didn't run out of there. I know the Lombardi thing, but he couldn't stand college football either. Nick Saban left. Is college football in danger of being just a little bit of a, oh, I don't know, farm system for coaches who don't want to put up with NIL, who don't want to put up with portal nonsense? Here's what Jeff Hafley, the head coach at Boston College, who took off, and did, he did, he went and went into the NFL. Love that I am the general manager and you're trying to manage the cap and you don't really know what the cap is. And now you're fundraising. That's what you're doing. You're the head coach. You used to be your coach and you recruited and you did go speak, but you're now you're fundraising for your own program. Now you got to talk to the people you disdain. I mean, I want to coach football. I want to coach more defense than I did last year. And now it's just prioritizing again. I got to coach again. I miss coaching DBs. But how am I going to do that? And that's what I need to figure out. Well, he's right. How do you do that? And look, the money's good. The money's great. Now Halfley decided I'm going to go be the defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. Let me ask you a question. I don't know what the money is as a Packer coordinator, and I don't care. Money's a big deal, don't get me wrong. But living in Green Bay is a hell of a lot better financially than living in Boston, Chestnut Hill. Great spot, wonderful, beautiful, but expensive as all get out. And under Bidenomics, it's getting more expensive. But let me ask you, what would you do? Look, when you coach, you get into coaching to what? You get into coaching because you like to coach. I love just me and a player, and I'm showing them how to do something. I love me and a coach when I was a player, and we're just talking, and I'm shooting, and we're just shooting the bull, and he's making me better. I love that stuff. I love sitting in a room with a bunch of coaches putting a game plan together to go beat somebody. And then the feeling after. You know, my son's team lost last night. Illinois State got beat. Bad loss. Miserable. Called me. We talked for an hour on into the night. I miss that. I miss the misery. I need a life of chaos. I was talking to Chris Beard. He called me up the other night. We got talking about Bobby Knight. And, I, and I'm like, man, Coach Knight, everything would be going good, but he would paint something in such a way that he got chaos, even when it was going good. And my wife's over there going, well, that sounds like somebody I know. I like the chaos. But I don't like having to recruit a player. I The best player guy was going to be the all-time leading scorer at Bowling Green, Ron Lewis. He went to Ohio State eventually. He, after two years, was on track. We were going to be a top 20 team. We ended up winning 20 games, even 18 games, even though we got everybody hurt. But after the summer, think about this. Ron Lewis, after we paid for summer school, put him up, had him at my house, had a great summer with weight coaches, got his academics in order, on August 8th calls me and says, hey, coach, I'm not coming back to Bowling Green. I go, what? School starts in three weeks. Yeah, I'm not coming back. What? Yeah. What are you talking about? People say, well, here's what your record was. Well, things like that happen. He ends up at Ohio State in 2007, leads the NCAA in scoring as Ohio NCAA tournament as Ohio State went to the final, go, final four championship game. And I'm sitting there with an 18-win team. Would have been a 24-win team if one kid didn't get hurt. Might have been a 30-win team if Lewis and, and had stayed and the kid didn't get hurt. And I had another year with him. So I'm a little bit jaded. And I don't blame any of these coaches. I got to do what now? 
Like, you sit there and you see Sam Hartman throwing the ball with his beard and his hair, and he's throwing it for Notre Dame. Man, how about that coach over at Wake Forest? How about that guy, Dave Lawson, who groomed this kid? Now, every coach has got to sit there and smile and go, yay, that's okay. That's the business, but they hate it. I'm not sure I could do it. Like, you guys don't understand this. In coaching world, I had more integrity than any human being alive. I'm just telling you. Well, if you got to tell us that, Doc, it's in you really – oh, shut up. I mean, when I went to West Virginia, that is historical. Coaches use me as an example forever. I don't think I could go on another school's campus and poach a kid even if the kid wanted poached. I don't think I could. I don't. I think there's fairness. But now you have to. Now not only do you got to go to another kid's campus, you got to flaunt it. You got to fly in on the G6. You got to bring a limo, pick the kid up, go to the nicest dinner, meet his agent. I don't think I can do it. I wouldn't last a minute. Look, Tom Izzo doesn't do it. His team is struggling. Cal Perry doesn't do it. His team's okay, but struggling. I don't know. I don't think I could go in and ruin another coach. Hey, look, if ruining another coach is beating their ass, I can do that like it's my job. That's what you're supposed to do. But college football, you're supposed to sniff around college basketball and poach. I could not do it. Speaking of Nick Saban, Nick Saban is joining game day. The one thing I do like about game day, I think game day has gotten incredibly boring. I think game day needs a coach on it, and they got one. But the one thing that I love about game day is their loyalty, their absolute loyalty to Lee Corso. I've told you the Lee Corso story, right? Lee showed up at my house, wanted me to play linebacker or safety. My dad laughed at him, and they became friends. Former Alabama head coach Nick Saban, one of the most accomplished and decorated coaches in college football history, is joining ESPN. Saban will work primarily as an analyst on the set of College Game Day, but will also appear on the NFL Draft and SEC Media Day's coverage. You know what I'm fascinated by? I'm fascinated by the will be a part of SEC Media Day's coverage. Let me explain SEC Media Day to you. I think it's in Hoover, Alabama. Urban told me this one time. Maybe I'll try to get Urban on tomorrow and talk about this. Urban told me this one time, you know, you go into the lobby and you got to have police security because fans are nuts. Your own fans are nuts trying to take pictures, but enemy fans are nuts. Alabama fans are nuts to the Florida coach trying to get at him, MFing him. This is your chance as a fan to tell Urban Meyer or Nick Saban or, or Kirby Smart what you really feel about him. Got to have police protection. My first thought was, wonder how Saban is going to navigate being at media day. You know, you do drop off when you're no longer coaching and you become in the media. You're no longer on Mount Saban, right? You're no longer there. There is a drop off, but it's still Nick Saban and it's still the SEC and he still runs that joint, yo. So I'm fascinated by that. I like those kind of things. How do people get along? How do people get around? I've never really felt uncomfortable except one time at Michigan State. A year after 12,300 people in unison chanted, we hate Dockage, while I was doing a broadcast. The next year, myself and my broadcast partners were grabbing a bite to eat in a crowded restaurant bar, maybe a little too close to game time. I was having a sando, and it got uncomfortable. The stairs, people flipping me off. I'm like, huh. This could get sexy. This ain't good. 
I don't get nervous much, and when I do, I start laughing. So I went over to it. I did it prison style. I went over to some big guy that was grumbling, and I put my arm on his shoulder. He had flipped me off. I go, look, you could have gotten into Michigan. And it made the entire table laugh, and everybody was cool. But I'm telling you right now, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Nick Saban has to navigate that. I'm pretty. I'm fired up that Saban's on. I think he's pretty good. Like I think Urban Meyer's great. I think Urban Meyer and his coaching stuff is great. I hope they use Saban as something other than a punchline to bounce McAfee's jokes off of or somebody. I hope they use him in real. Here is what we need to do to win this game, so-and-so. Because he's great at explaining, just like Urban, great at explaining, just like Dungy. When Dungy used to have the clicker on NBC, I loved it. I remember telling him, Coach, I love the NBC clicker. When you're teaching me stuff that I did not know, that's what I like. Last night, I mean, I got Robbie Hummel fatigue. Last night, I'm watching, I forget what even game, I turned it on, it was Michigan and Wisconsin, and Jesus Christ, for the first three possessions, he and his partner didn't shut up and they didn't tell me anything. I don't like it. I hope they use Saban to do good stuff. Speaking of NFL and coaches, Dan Campbell. Now, Dan Campbell is all the rage. Dan Campbell got a pass on all the dumb decisions Dan Campbell made, except for obviously here on OutKick, because, well, on OutKick, we keep it reals, yo. But anyway, Dan Campbell has to be asked everything. Now, what do you like to eat? What do you like to wear? What do you like to listen to? Are you going to watch the Super Bowl? So Campbell was asked about the Super Bowl. Nah, you got to watch it, man. Use every second of it as motivation. I'll sure as hell be watching. Yeah, motivate you to do what? Think? Kick? Go up 17? I mean, dude, make no mistake. I have a hard time. I would have a hard time if I were him watching it. I would. He's a football guy. Seems like he has the right priorities. I did not. You know, everything goes back to a story with me. 84, I turned the ball over, minute 19 to go. We don't go to the final four. I couldn't watch the final four. I couldn't do it. I ended up doing it because I sat in a fraternity house with a couple buddies of mine, had about 18 beers. That was like the only way I could do it. I remember a reporter tracked me down at this fraternity house, and they're like, hey, you want to talk to a reporter? I go, hell no. If I talk to the reporter, I'm, I'm three quarters in the bag. I'm not going to have a scholarship tomorrow. No. It's hard to watch something that you were so close to achieving and somebody else gets to do. So I get, I get Dan Campbell. I do. Now, one of his players... Alex Anzalone, or whatever, he's a good player, he's a linebacker, kind of crazy. He said, I can't help but have this image of Dan sitting in a dark room this Sunday, all by himself, gripping his coffee cup for three hours straight, staring daggers at the TV, counting down the milliseconds until training camp starts, and we can run it back. You're going to have 53 dogs out there doing the exact thing. You're going to have a whole coaching staff doing the same. You're going to have a whole city doing the same. This year it sucks. Next year it's us. See, I love that. One of the things about, let me give you a little coaching thing here, and it's probably the same in business. But one of the things about coaching, and I just told my son this last night, you're miserable. It's awful. Until you can practice 
And what I used to call it is just you get to wipe yourself up a little bit. You get to wipe your ass a little bit. There's hope. Hope springs with practice. So you lose a game last night. And I never like to take a day off after a loss. Two reasons. One, I want to punish the players and myself for losing. I want them to feel losing the next day. And two, I can't get the stench of a loss out of me until we practice. The stench of a loss stays with me at breakfast. It stays at me when I'm watching film. It stays in me if I go recruiting the next day. It stays with me in coaches' meeting. The stench, the filth, the film of a loss doesn't get removed sometimes ever, but most times until you practice. And when you lose the last game like Campbell did, and you lose it to the point where you got to sit there and know that your decisions did not help. Uh. Uh. It takes a pretty strong man to not feel it. Or it takes a pretty balanced man to not feel it. I'm not that balanced. I mean, even this show, I check out the numbers every day. What are we doing? Why didn't we do it? It don't matter. I'm competing with my sister-in-law to try to get my my knee, which got replaced. I'm trying to compete with her because I want, she had her knee replaced. I want to be doing things before she does them. That's just the way I'm wired. Sixth grade, we had to run 20 minutes around the floor to end practice. I had to lap everybody twice. It's insane. It's psychotic. I hate it. But I get it with Dan Campbell. Hey, make no mistake. The lesbian world in sports is vicious. Way back when we first started this show, my wife, longtime legend in the world of softball, in the world of Michigan women's sports, an absolute pioneer, one of the great athletes in the history of the state of Michigan and in the history of Toledo. She's in all kinds of softball hall of fames. She talked about lesbians and how difficult it is to coach. She actually got the job in Syracuse. The job became open because the previous coach was having an affair with a shortstop. Chew on that for a minute. The world of lesbians is not all seashells and balloon. It's awful. It's recruiting. It's dominating. It's mind games. Lee will tell you the story on her first college party. One of the older girls who was not a lesbian said, stay with me. They're going to try to recruit you. Sure enough, the lesbian circled her, tried to recruit her. The stories are endless, and they're only getting worse. Now here comes Caitlin Clark, 66 points away from being the NCAA leading scorer. Here comes Caitlin Clark as uh, the great Joby Wright. I don't know if this is racist or not. used to call white women snow. Man, we used to get that snow. Okay, great. Yay, Rod, go fight win. But anyway, so Caitlin Clark, little white girl, all the publicity, heterosexual, is getting ready to enter a world that is awful. Like these WNBA women can say, but the stories coming out of the WNBA and the recruitment and the lesbianism and the pressure to be a lesbian is terrible, horrendous. In fact, if the WNBA really, truly wanted to be treated like other sports leagues, it would be shut down for just that. What other sport leagues tolerate two dudes screwing in the locker room? What other sports leagues tolerate we're not practicing today because Sally broke up with Susie and we're all upset? What other sports league tolerates that? I'll tell you the only other one, women's athletics in college. My next-door neighbor, 
quit University of Penn when she came home and her teammate was in bed with another teammate. And she's like, yeah, this ain't my thing. Now, you can act like it's all seashells and balloons, but Caitlin Clark is getting ready. And it's already started. She is going to be met with racial resentment, heterosexual resentment, popularity resentment. One of the, quote, legends, who's just a ridiculous human being named Cheryl Swoops, it already started. Let's hear from Cheryl Swoops. This isn't just for Caitlin, but you asked me about Caitlin. If you're going to break a record, to me, if it's legitimate, you have to break that record in the same amount of time that that player set it. Okay. In, right? So if, if Kelsey Plum set that record in four years, mm-hmm. well, Caitlin should have broke that record in four years. But because there's a COVID year, and then there's another year, you know what I mean? So she's already had an extra year to break that record. So is it truly a broken record? I, I don't you, know. You think, you think exactly how I... I don't I think, think so, but yeah, that'll go in the record books as Caitlin Clark is the all-time, whatever it is. I don't even know what the number is, but that's the way it'll be. Cheryl Swoop's an idiot. Caitlin Clark is in her fourth year. Now, I get it. We're not supposed to say anything uh, because she's African-American and a woman and a lesbian. But she's an idiot. And Caitlin Clark is breaking this record in four years. She went on to say, Swoops did, that she shoots 40 times a game. She shoots 22 times a game. Cheryl, do some research. It should be this. Cheryl, do some research, you absolute racist jackass. That's what it should say. Does it not say that? Uh, I'm sorry. It should. Uh, She's a true senior. No extra seasons. It's her fourth year. She does not shoot 40 times a game. It's actually 22 times a game. Now, we all know this, and people can argue it all you want, and OutKick's the only place that's going to say it. But if Caitlin Clark was a white lesbian or a black lesbian, guess what? Guess what? Cheryl Swoops would be all over saying how great she is, how she's the next thing. Cheryl Swoops is an idiot. But we know this. We know that Cheryl Swoops is a stone idiot. She's a stone racist dumbass. And I have no sympathy for it. But that's the world we live in. Well, I think JT, you know, she's an idiot. Uh, And you know what? I hope that Caitlin Clark comes to Indiana. Because in Indiana, I'll call it out. I mean, look, I'll be the first. Our show in the state here is growing to the point where it may be the number one show in the afternoon now. And I'll call it out. If any of these big-ass racist uh, lesbians with the fever start giving Caitlin Clark any trouble that I can find out about, I'll call it out like it's my job. Uh, but you know what? Isn't it sad? There is nobody less tolerant, nobody, than the LGTBQ, whatever the hell it is, community. Nobody less tolerant. And nobody, don't think for a second, that these people go, oh, my, okay. Yeah, let's replay the SOT. I don't know what that means, but let's replay it. This isn't just for Caitlin, but you asked me about Caitlin. If you're going to break a record, to me, if it's legitimate, you have to break that record in the same amount of time that that player set it. Okay. In, right? So if, if Kelsey Plum set that record in four years, mm-hmm. well, Caitlin should have broke that record in four years. But because there's a COVID year, and then there's another year, you know what I mean? So she's already had an extra year 
to break that record. So is it truly a broken record? I don't you, know. You think, you think exactly how I... I don't I, think so, but yeah, that'll go in the record books as Caitlin Clark is the all-time, whatever it is. I don't even know what the number is, but that's the way it'll be. And you're really stupid. That's just a little reminder how stupid Cheryl Swoops is. That's just a little reminder how they sit there and you hear in her voice that she's trying to be so inclusive. They're the worst. They are the worst. You can act like whatever. You can do whatever. Loyola University fired Cheryl Swoops because basically she's a pig. I mean, she's just a pig. She was a coach at Loyola University. And guess what? They like, yeah, well, you know, we understand that you're one of the icons. We understand, but you're a pig. You're horrible. And I got to tell you something else. Anything put in an article, I've learned one-tenth of what is actual. Cheryl Swoops is no longer serving as a women's basketball coach at Loyola. She gone. Why is she gone? Well, she was 31 and 62. But she also, she also, five former players, she's threatened them. I guarantee you there was some lesbian stuff in here. Nah, I shouldn't say that. But she's awful. She was married for a little bit, then, of course, got divorced, and now she's lesbian. And they're the worst. I'm telling you, the worst. Make no mistake about it. I'm not afraid to say it. And I'm telling you right now, if Caitlin Clark, Fever have the number one pick in the draft, if Caitlin Clark catches any hell by these crazy uh, WNBA players, and they're nuts, I'm going to be rip racing and roaring. The Indy Star won't. Nobody will. I will. Because I hate it. I do. I hate it. Uh, Kyrie Irving. It's unbelievable, really. At 45 years, she just, we listen to the stupidest people. Kyrie Irving blames uh, Mayor Adams because of the whole COVID thing. A fan asked Kyrie Irving why he didn't like playing or why he chose not to play well for the Brooklyn Nets. His answer was simple. Thank New York City Mayor Eric Adams for that. Irving was not allowed to play, if you remember, in any of the Nets' home games in the 21-22 season after he made the decision not to receive the COVID-19 virus. The city had a mandate in place that kept unvaccinated players from playing in Brooklyn and Manhattan at Madison Square Garden. It did cost Irving a lot of money. Irving moved in and out of the lineup during the season, made it difficult for the team to find any form of consistency. He was made the villain by most during the situation. However, instead of Mayor Adams and the city's ridiculous mandate keeping people from being able to do their jobs. Yeah, look, I kind of respect. You know me, I'll stand up with somebody that's standing up. If you're standing up for a cause that you believe in, hey, I'm down with that. Kyrie Irving stood up, cost him a little bit of money, a lot of bit of money to us, a little bit to him. And whether you like Kyrie Irving and his flat earther stuff or you don't, that's all right. But he stood up, and I like it. And he ain't wrong. Why didn't you play that well for the Brooklyn Nets? Hey, go ask Adams. He put a ridiculous mandate in. I can only play half the games. Good for him. There's a TV show. Actually, it's a movie. I wonder if you guys remember this movie, Aaron or Gary, called Brewster's Millions. Brewster's Millions was Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, it's a long story, but he had to spend X number of dollars and if he was able to do it in a month and not retain anything from the spending, he got 
X times Y plus Z amount of dollars. It's really a good movie. I like it. It's an interesting movie because it makes you think, well, one of the ways that Richard Pryor decided to spend money and not get anything in return was funding a mayoral campaign called None of the Above. Meaning, don't vote for the mayor, don't vote for the challenger, vote for none of the above. None of the above won. Richard Pryor, eventually, there's shenanigans, because there was always shenanigans in 80s movies, right? A villain, a hot woman, you know what I'm saying. But Richard Pryor, I'll watch Richard Pryor do anything. I love Richard Pryor. So, fast forward to real life. Real life and Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley was swamped. This is the words that were written for me, and I like them. In Nevada's symbolic Republican presidential primary, listen to this, as GOP voters picked none of these candidates, they picked that option on the ballot over Nikki Haley. Let's show the graphic here. Let's show the graphic. Nikki Haley got 21,000 votes, 30%. 63.5% went to none of the above. And I agree with Gary, much funnier as a stand-up than in the movie. And I don't even know if that movie was funny, Gary, Brewster's Million, but it did make you think, what would you do with all the money? You know what I mean? So Nikki Haley lost to none of the above. By double. She got 30. They got 63. By double. Now think about that. Now, she says it's all wrong. Eh, Whatever. Okay, fine. Yes, it's wrong. Yes, you're right. Yes, 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 yes. But I got to tell you, when none of the above Brewster's millions beat you, you might want to think about stepping away. I don't know. Hey, guys, here it is. Listen to this. I'm going to be a poet, and I won't even know it. 20% off manscaped.com. Now, I'm not going to get too personal with you, but I had used it the other day, and last night, I got to tell you, yeah, go to manscaped.com, promo code don't at me, roses are red, violets are blue, trim your balls, and your date will thank us too. What's up, fellas? Valentine's Day is knock, 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 and Manscaped is the remedy. For what the love doctor ordered, what's his prescription? The all-new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra. It's designed to elevate your grooming game and shine like the heartthrob that you are, or maybe you even think you are. Join 10 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com to snag, which you will not have snag. There's nothing worse than snag while you're manscaping. Snag 20% off plus free shipping with code don't at me. 20% off free shipping. Code don't at me at manscaped.com. 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. Use, at, use code don't at me. Big bold letters. D-O-N-T-A-T-M-E. Because your grooming upgrade awaits. Ready to charm your Valentine's Day date. Be right back. Jim McMahon, the funky QB, joins next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this.
You know, nobody was a bigger star in 1985 in that era than Jim McMahon. I had a chance to talk to Jim McMahon and Kyle Turley, former lineman. And I'm being serious about this, as are they. They are launching a presidential campaign, and I believe, well, they can explain it to you, it's the Cannabis Liberation Party. Here's McMahon and Turley with me yesterday. Jim McMahon, you're my idol. I grew up in northwest Indiana, about your age. You were the funky QB. You guys were kicking ass. You didn't care. It's an honor to talk to you. How are you? Well, still breathing. Still breathing after all these years, <laughs> thanks to cannabis. Man, I, that's kind of an upset, you breathing. I mean, I remember when you had planes and helicopters flying over Super Bowls. How crazy was your life back then with Ditka and the 85 Bears? Well, it's not something for the faint of heart, that's for sure. Uh, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of arguments, but we won a lot of football games, too. Unfortunately, only one Super Bowl, but uh, we went to the playoffs five straight years, three NFC championships. So we had, we had our chances. We just uh, didn't get it done other than that first, other than 85. Best team I ever saw. Are you running for president? Are you going to run for president? Yep, we're uh, we're on, we're trying to get on the ballot. Kyle and I, we're uh, I'm I'm running for president. I'll take the bullet so he can move right in. Uh, yeah, we're, we're this two-party system doesn't seem to be working. We're we're going to be on the cannabis freedom party, and uh, we're trying to get a lot of different things passed in this space. Uh, you know, the banking act and, and Kyle, you got your bike yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, descheduling. You, I'm you, here. You remember here. all that stuff? <laughs> I, I can't. That's why he's. That's why that's he's going to be the, the president after me. That's right. He's got it. Jim's got to stand so up there uh, and just look look better. Well, you know, hey, Jim, you don't need Secret Service if Kyle Turley's with you. I mean, he just kicked the shit out of everybody. I mean, that's not a – there's nothing going on there. Well, QB is only as good as his guys up front, and I got a good front man right here. There's no doubt about it. That's All right. right. That's give right. Me I'm the, ready for give it. Me the, hey, Kyle and Jim, give me the platform of the Cannabis Party. Well, the platform of the Cannabis Freedom Party is simple. Uh, you know, there needs to be a third party in this country. This two-party system isn't working. And uh, what can be the third party? What We're going to go back to the Federalist Party and bring back George Washington out of the grave. I, you know, I don't think they really want to do that. So what can happen? And that is this plant to start getting its due and for the truth to come out. And so if you resolve these issues when it comes to cannabis, all these other things will go away really quickly. I mean, you've got about a trillion dollars of un bankable cash sitting out here that can go inject into the economy tomorrow. You've got a scheduling problem that continues to support a pharmaceutical industry destroying and ravaging our communities across this country, killing millions of people. It should be shut down, period, until they figure that out, until they can't match what cannabis has done and not killed a soul in the history of the world. But dropping it to a Schedule 3 drug allows it to be studied on humans, and right now it currently can't happen. And so the endogenous cannabinoid system, uh, being the number one regulatory system in the human body will be exposed finally and you won't have these semantical conversations where it's up to me and Jim these crazy football guys and but we're still here it's 10 years we've been talking about this and you know I'm, I mean I'm pushing Jim around right now because he's got a bum ankle but the guy's still out on the golf course with his bum ankle and our cognitive ability is uh, significantly better than the people that are <laughs> uh, our age from about three different decades of football here, uh, and collectively we've had this same experience. 
You know, Jim, you were very critical of Joe Biden. Walk us through your thoughts on Biden and what he's doing, done against or not certainly for this country. Well, I kind of feel like him today being pushed around in this wheelchair by Kyle. But, uh, well, you know, they asked me what would you do first, and I said close the damn border for one. I mean, this is ridiculous. You know, we, everybody kind of has figured it out. The only reason they're letting everybody in is so that the census can take all these people and just, you know, reorganize and, and have more, more seats for the Democrats. I mean, that's, that's all this is about. And so we're going to try to, you know, close the border. Go in and find all the people that have got in here Ill- illegally. You know, you got a, how many people on the most wanted list or terrorist watch list that have gotten into this country? I mean, things are, things are not going to be good here for a while. And so we're going to try to just straighten everything out. You know, one of the things about the border, Donald Trump said this yesterday. And I'm curious both of your reaction. Donald Trump said bullshit to what Joe Biden is saying, that the Republicans are stopping it. He said on True Social, hey, look. You can simply close the border by saying, I want the damn border closed. It doesn't seem that hard, fellas. Well, uh, personally, I don't understand this border thing at all. You know, I've got the American flag tattooed on my body right here after 9-11. I mean, what could I do? I tried to run out and join the Marines. They wouldn't let me. Uh, I literally fought in the parking lot with Jim Hazlitt about it. And, um, you know, this right here is the Mexican flag. Okay, that's what it is. And I lived down there for about 10 years. They have states. They have places. Everybody likes to go vacation. They have governors. They have mayors. They have all these things. And they have police forces as well. And with the FBI National Academy and the things that they do, why can we not continue to work towards a non-border issue, legalize cannabis, which will completely resolve the number one cash crop of all the cartels that they're afraid of, because that's still their number one cash crop is cannabis, um, because of the regulations, the overtaxation, everything else that they've done with this plant that has emboldened them to make more money. It's still more money on the black market that they can make because of all of these restrictions. If they would legalize cannabis, we wouldn't have this problem of a border issue. And if they would address a border issue as something that, you know, we're, uh, you know, doing, I guess, overseas uh, in places like Israel and the Ukraine of, of all these issues, you know, you, you would think that diplomacy uh, would be the route for us to take before we get to uh, Hamas and, uh, you know, Palestinian, uh, whatever, all this words that we have to hear as Americans that make no sense to us because our, our Spanish brothers and sisters deserve the same America that we live in. Uh, It shouldn't be a clear line when you fly across these borders of green grass versus dirt fields for our kids when they play sports. I've done plenty of football camps in Mexico over the years. Um, We played plenty of NFL football games in Mexico. Um, This is our neighbor and we have to resolve this at our shores, not at a stinking ridiculous line that's only about a, a thousand miles long. Fellas, I appreciate you. I know you're swamped. Thanks for the time, man. Good luck. I'm voting for you. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thank you all. Appreciate you. Go Chiefs. You guys. Yeah, there you go. I should have asked them who they like in the Super Bowl. Jim McMahon, Kyle Turley for two absolute legends. Jim McMahon, you have no idea how big Jim McMahon was back in the day in Chicago. His bar was going. He was the funky QB. It was nuts. Jim McMahon was awesome. How about that? The magic of television. Look at Brooke getting it done on our show. Look, man, oh, man. I remember I was in, I was a graduate assistant. 
I was living on a couch with my buddy Dave Brizik for the most part. And on Sundays, all these guys would come over to watch the Bears and I'd have to go to practice. And it pissed me off like no other. Because I had to go to practice and the Bears were whomping. And I remember when they lost to Miami. All right, can we get a little bit of a Joe Biden? Can we get a little Joe Biden in our lives? Don't we need Joe Biden? Lee asked me the other night, he goes, what are you doing? I go, ah, I'm looking for another Joe Biden faux pas. And we found one. We did. We, we, we found one. And they're easy to find. So now Joe Biden was asked about the border. Now, I don't know about you. I'm looking around here and I'm thinking, Biden been president for more than 10 minutes. No, I think he has been. I really do. I think he's been president for a few years now. But he still blames Trump. He blames Trump for the border. Like, Trump's over here on True Social going, hey, all you want to do or all you got to do to close the border is say, I want the border closed. Let's go through some numbers. Do we have audio of uh, our guy, Biden? Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. You've been the president. How was Biden a, or a Trump able to just close the border? Let's look at some numbers. 2020, when Trump was in office, 400,000 border encounters. That's the bottom number right there. Look at since. Now, I'm no math major, but from 2020 to 2023, that's six times. Six times four is 24. There you go. Six times the encounters on the border. And all Trump has said, look, he's lying. All you got to do is, I want the border closed. Donald Trump and his MAGA Republicans are apparently responsible for every single thing in this country, even though Donald Trump and his MAGA Republicans aren't in power. And yet, people just go with it. And yet, the dislike for Trump is so strong. NBC, CBS, everybody, nobody calls this garbage out except for Clay or me or Tommy or Charlie or Hot Mike. I mean, nobody calls it out. It sucks. If I would call this out when I was at ESPN, I'd get fired. But everybody should be calling this out because it's coming. It's coming fast to every community. Promise you. What are you going to wait until your neighbor gets shot by an illegal immigrant before you're like, hey, you know what? I know I'm a Democrat, but I better speak. Everybody should be speaking on this. But we don't. And this idiot in chief, he just keeps deflecting the blame. And he ran as the great uniter. Man, I go back to my colon. <sighs> Never mind. Uh, I like this move. It's not going to happen. But I like this move. I'm a big Rex Ryan fan. Somehow, someway, I don't know when it was, I used to be in the cart, not sure why, and Rex Ryan, again, I don't know how, was doing, was always on, I don't know if it was an afternoon ESPN show or some show that I caught. I don't know if I was driving from Indy to Bloomington. I don't know. 
But I always like Rex Ryan. I watch uh, Sam Ponder and those guys, Rex Ryan, and Rex Ryan makes sense to me. Rex Ryan's the only guy. I listen to all these guys, the preacher man, Ryan Clark, or Vlaski, who's auditioning for jobs, and I'm like, okay, great. But Rex Ryan, if you stink, he'll tell you he stink. If you're good, he'll tell you you're good and why. Rex Ryan interviewed for the Cowboys defensive coordinator job. There was a time, ladies and gentlemen, and he did it here in Indy against the Colts and Peyton Manning where Rex Ryan could spin up a defense that would confuse even Peyton Manning, and he brought in Mark Sanchez as a rookie quarterback and beat Manning, beat the Colts in Indianapolis, and it was pretty good. Now, it was really good. Rex Ryan's a defensive brilliant mind now. He hasn't coached in a while. Could he, would he, should he? Probably not. Is he? Nah, probably not. They'll hire somebody else. Maybe Mike Zimmer, who I really like. Zimmer used to come on my show when he was a defensive coordinator of the uh, uh, Cincinnati Bengals, and I loved talking to him. But anyway, good for them, the Cowboys, interviewing Rex Ryan. I think that'd be fun as hell. Um, I, you guys didn't put this on there, and I did not look this up, so I'm going to need your help. The Super Bowl ticket, the Super Bowl ticket is an expensive ticket. But you know what? Here's the deal. Why are we surprised by any of this? Like every single freaking ticket to every single freaking event is expensive as hell. Period. Why would the Super Bowl be any different? Why would the Super Bowl have any type of difference than that? Tickets going for thousands. I mean, it's Vegas. See, 10,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago when dinosaurs like me were walking the streets of Vegas, you could get, you could get a shrimp cocktail for a buck, a steak for two bucks. Wasn't horrible. Now, oh, no, 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 no. They said, I we don't care, man. We don't care. Everything's expensive. The cheapest face value ticket sold directly by the NFL, about $2,000. But that's not it. My crack staff says this. As of Tuesday, the get-in price was hovering around $7,790 to get into the Super Bowl. Now, I don't know about you. But I don't want to spend $8,000 to get into a football game, particularly when I can sit right here. I want to go to the football. I want to go to the Super Bowl. Hey, look, I ain't mad. I want to go, and I got tickets to the Indiana-Purdue game. I'm not sure I can go because of this knee. I want to go to events. But I'm not spending $8,000 to go to an event. Not a chance. But God bless you. It is the highest price ever recorded Five days before the Super Bowl. How about that? Mm. All right. I like this. I'm not mad at this. Toby Keith, rest in peace. I told you the other day, first date with my beautiful wife. Toby Keith, we went to. He was awesome. Not kind of awesome. And I told you this before, and I know Gary and Aaron You'll understand. Brooke, you probably can dance. Lee can dance. Women can dance. Nick, you two guys got three left feet. I don't care how cool you are or you think you are. But when I go to a concert, I don't know what to do with these. I don't know what to do with these mitts. 
Do I put them in my pocket? I'm usually holding a beer. Do I sway? Do I boogie? What do I do? Toby Keith concert. I didn't have any problem. And I don't know. I was so into it. Oh, the red wine. I mean, I loved everything about it. I liked him. I liked the woman I was with, first date with my wife. I walked out of that concert with my wife, my arm around her, and I remember thinking, first concert I've ever been to that I wasn't uncomfortable at. You know, you go to a concert with a girl. I would never go on a concert with a girl on a date unless I knew she was the one and I knew Lee was the one. I did. But I walked out of there. And I'm like, this is great. So, Saturday, Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. All beverages served in red solo cup. I'll fill you up. Let's have a party. Somebody told me the background of this song was that Toby Keith was telling his manager or somebody that he could write a hit based on anything. Apparently, they were having a beer in a red solo cup, and the manager said, write a hit on this, the red solo cup. And that's how red solo cup came about. It's pretty cool. Man, I like Toby Keith. Never met him. Uh, Didn't care whether I met him or not. I just know that Toby Keith, his songs resonate with me. His voice resonates with me. His charm, charisma resonates with me. And Toby Keith gave me one of the great nights I've ever had in my life with a woman of my dreams. And I can never repay that. And if you can get a dockage to not feel like a dork at a concert, that's an entertainer. All right, we come back. Justin Pugh off the couch of the the New York Giants. What a fun, great guy. We had a chance to talk to Justin when we come back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. You know what? I was supposed to go to the Super Bowl and be on Radio Row, which would be a blast, but knee surgery and my doctor saying, what are you, an idiot? No, you can't do that. He really made fun of me. He hurt my feelings. I went and got a safe space in a Snickers, and I'm okay now. But anyway, he's like, hey, fool, you can't go, so I'm not going, but we're bringing Radio Row to you. Justin Pugh has a great story. 11-year NFL vet. He was just sitting around the couch. Next thing you know, he gets a call, and he's a starting left guard or left tackle for the Giants after one practice. Had a chance to talk to the man from off the couch. It's become a thing with Justin Pugh. We got 11-year NFL veteran Justin Pugh. Justin You are a Syracuse grad. I've had numerous football players, including Art Jones and others, tell me that my wife, Lee Ross, the softball coach at Syracuse, at the time you guys were there, was their coach crush. Art Jones started hitting on my wife uh, when we walked into an event. So we have a big-time connection to the Qs, and I thank you for joining us, brother. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good time to be a Syracuse Orange fan with a new head coach, the NIL landscape changing. We got guys coming on board. We're getting commits from Alabama and Texas A&M. It is a good time to have Orange on. 
Hey, wait a second. I forgot. You got the quarterback from Ohio State, too, McCord. What the hell? Hey, everyone can pay now. Before, Syracuse wasn't paying. I got a slice of pizza one time when I was there. Not even for free. I think I got it at a discount. And now we're able to pay guys real contracts. College football landscape is changing. It is a little bit of the wild, wild west. I think we're going to find somewhere in the middle to balance. But it gives schools like Syracuse the opportunity to go out and pay guys that aren't playing at some of these big-time programs. Hey, I ain't mad at it either. Uh, straight off the couch is what you said, which was really funny. All right, you're, how are guys able to do this? Walk me through this. Flacco did it. You did it. Teams are playing. You're watching. Next thing you know, you get a call. I mean, damn, is the NFL really that easy to play in? <laughs> well, Flacco did it after <laughs> me, so he saw how easy it was for me, and then he decided right. to come. He's the couch. He's the official straight-off-the-couch quarterback. We got Kyle Van Noy on defense. But, um, you know, obviously I was training. I was staying in shape. I was sitting at home on a love sack, and, you know, I'm here representing today. And the Giants gave me a call and said, hey, we need some, some help with the offensive line. And I had played there. I, I knew the system. I, I didn't know the system. I didn't know the plays at all when I got there. But um, I knew all the people, and I wanted to go back to New York. It was one of the few places I would go back and play. So I got back there and did one practice on practice squad, and they said, hey, go, go start against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night football. And, uh, you know, had that little line, Justin Pugh straight off the couch that went viral. And it's a game I'll never forget because three plays in, our left tackle goes down. I have to slide out to left tackle, which I haven't played since Syracuse. Is that right? So you slide out the left tackle, which is obviously the most high-profile uh, position because everybody's – you're lining up against some of the greatest athletes in the world. I don't have the video in front of me. How did it go? Well, it didn't go great to start. Think about this. I don't know the snap count. We're going on silent count. I don't know the playbook. The left tackle was telling me the plays. I've been there for 24 hours, basically. So when he goes down, we bring in the backup right guard and move him over to left tackle. He's telling me the plays. So finally, we get things figured out. I jump off sides twice. I don't get out of my stance the other two times, give up two easy sacks to... I think it was Von Miller. Who I, You go over there in Sunday Night Football and you line up and you look at Von Miller, who's a Hall of Famer, and you're like, this isn't right. I'm 285 pounds. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to like really get my weight back up under me and, and get back into a flow of things. So I, it was like Gladiator. Not Gladiator. It was like 300 when they send the young boys out there with a spear and no coat to go into the wilderness. And you, if you kill a wolf and survive, you get to come back. Well, I killed the wolf. I, got, I survived the Buffalo Bills. And then I got a new contract the next day with the New York Giants. You know, you did get a new contract. What was the negotiation like? So it was, uh, it, was, it was a lot of back and forth. Before I signed with the Giants, I told them two things. I want to ramp up properly, which the plans change, and I couldn't ramp up properly. But then I told right, them, you know, right. I, I want to come in, and I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you one game from practice squad elevation. There's, new, there's a new vet rule on practice squad where you can get called up and then relegated back down and brought back up. And Joe Flacco went through that. But I was able to, you know, play that game, and then I told the Giants, hey, look, you know, you've had some more injuries since I've even gotten here. I want a new deal, and, you know, we'll, we'll put incentives in there that I have to stay healthy because that was, a, that was a knock for me, and I hit every incentive. So me and Joe Shane, I actually was on the phone call with Joe and my agent negotiating the deal, and uh, it was a great insight to the business of football. Are you signed for next year? I'm a free agent, so after, you know, 11 years, I'm 33 years old, turning 34. You know, the, the Giants have some other bigger fish to fry, and then they'll get down to Justin Pugh when they get down the totem pole a little bit. 
you know what? Straight off the couch is not a bad way to go about it. You miss all the crap and you get to play in the games that actually, I don't know, matter. I don't know. That seems like a pretty good way. No OTAs, no training camp. You kind of get to see right. how the team's unfolding and then kind of pick the team that fits best. But, you know, I was a giant and you know, got drafted by him and I, and I want to go back there. So that's definitely the goal. Yeah, I was watching, I was listening to an interview with you earlier, and you were talking about, you know, once a giant, always a giant. So let me go into this. This year, the Giants got really interesting because of Tommy DeVito, another Syracuse dude that comes in. When did you know or did you ever know that Tommy DeVito had a little something special to him that could handle what happened with him? The first day I got there. So the first day I get there, I'm running scout team offensive line. I'm going against Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence just trying to prove that my knee was healthy, literally just trying to show the Giants that I could still play football, and, and they didn't take any risk. I was on practice squad. They could have cut me the next day, didn't owe me a dime. So I go into the huddle, and I'm, like, usually the upbeat guy joking around, and this young, swaggy little Italian kid walks in and goes, all right, guys, we're going to run this play, and he starts joking around. And that's the, the, the birth for Tommy DeVito for me. I saw that going against our defense. It didn't matter that we were playing the Green Bay defense and millions of people were watching. Tommy DeVito has that little swagger that you just can't coach or can't teach. When you, when you go through a year like that, you're a veteran, so you know what happens here, right? You make it all, DeVito got off to a good start. But did you try to help him and say, look, it's coming, man. It's coming. Because the NFL, everybody's on a little bit of a – everybody's on scholarship, let's put it that way. Yeah, it definitely was, uh, you know, a rude awakening at some times because defenses start to scheme you up. I mean, it happens with the number one overall pick. Kyler Murray dealt with this when we were in Arizona. Teams figure out what your Achilles heel is, and they're going to they're gonna start to go after it. And obviously that, that happened with, with Tommy, but he's – he got so much good experience. He got to go play against starting defenses in the NFL. He shows that he belongs. He shows that he can go out there and compete, and that's what he'll do next year. I think Daniel Jones will be the starting quarterback. Joe Shane has said that. But now Tommy and, and, and Tyrod, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works out. And I, and I want to make sure I highlight Tyrod Taylor. He played unbelievable for us as well last year. Hey, let, 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 me, let me ask you when you, look at, you, when you look at the Giants, I see Daybold and I see he's ready to implode. Like, I think he's ready. If you put a pin in him, he's going to go like a balloon flying around. What's that guy like? What's Coach Daybold like? He's awesome. When I first got there, he was, he was kind of running the offensive meetings after practice. So we would practice going there, and he's running the film. And he's joking around with guys, but also calling guys out and kept it lighthearted. He's one of the best offensive minds I've ever been around. Obviously, I don't know what else he's doing on the defensive side. I know he went and talked to those guys. But strictly from my point of view, unbelievable coach, one of the best I've ever had. So he is the right man for the job. New York is not an easy place to be a head coach. When you look at Daniel Jones, what do you see? He got dealt a tough deck this year, you know, having injuries and having a lot of other guys go down around him. His starting left tackle gets hurt in the first game of the season. Things start to snowball. Media starts to, to, to do – they're doing their job too. And the media is such an important role in New York, and I actually use the media to my advantage while negotiating. But Daniel obviously gets hurt against Miami, then he comes back and tears his ACL. He really never got a fair shake. So obviously he's going to be the starting quarterback for the New York Giants upcoming season, and he's going to have a lot to prove, and I'm excited for him to go out there and do just that. Where did you come up with off the couch? 
So when we were driving to the stadium, obviously I've always done Justin Pugh, Syracuse University for my entire career. The weekend before, I'm sitting on a love stack. They got the new Stealth Tech technology. And, you know, they have the speakers in there, and I'm, I'm watching the game, and I'm feeling like a king in the castle. This thing is unbelievable. And I get a call from the Giants. And I've always said Syracuse, but now I was like, really, I was sitting on the couch. Let me really tell people the, the truth here. Like, I was just <laughs> like you, sitting on the couch, watching Sunday Night Football, and now I'm playing in the game. And I think that resonated with a lot of people because offensive linemen, uh, we don't get a lot of pubs, so it was good to have a nice viral moment. I'll never forget that game. How soon did Lovesack get a hold of you or any other couch? Yeah, so a few brands reached out to us, and they were like, well, what couch were you sitting on? And I'm like, I was sitting on a love sack, and I've had the big bean bag, but now they do these sectionals where it's like Lego pieces that you can, you can put together. I just had a, a newborn baby two weeks ago. I got two dogs, a wife. The in-laws are all in town. So if, if something gets on the couch, we spill a glass of wine, pop the covers off, throw them in the, in the, in the washer. My dogs get all dirty, the same thing. The couch converts into a queen-size bed, so my in-laws are staying on that. So it really does it all. And uh, it's, with this new technology, this stealth tech, you feel like you're in the game watching. Or if you're a gamer, you feel like you're surrounded by it. The subwoofers and speakers are built into the couch. You don't even see them. When you, uh, when you finally signed with Lovesack and, and you got going, uh, did you make more with Lovesack or did you make more in your short time this year with the, with the Giants? I'm sticking to my day job, making more money playing football. But this is most <laughs> offensive linemen aren't signing deals outside of, outside of football. Right. Obviously, if you're the Kelsey brothers and you see those and the Long brothers, the Long brothers are actually the one that put the two together because they were like, what couch were you on? This would be perfect with Love Sack. And so I'm getting the Long brothers some couches. Um, so definitely sticking to my day job playing, playing football. Did you ever have in the 11 years that you were in the NFL, did you ever have a deal? Yes, when I first came to the NFL, I worked with Con Air and their men's beer trimmer. So I had a little deal with them. NRG Energy, I worked with them. Playing in New York in that market, you are going to get exposed to a bunch of different um, businesses out there. And, and those were a few. I've also worked with some real estate and did some intern with some real estate developers in New York. So really, it's, it's, New York has, has, has made my career a whole lot more off the field and on the field. You playing next year? Yeah, I'm going to play next year. Waiting to talk to Joe Shane and the New York Giants, figure out a deal to come back to come back to New York. Well, congratulations on the baby. Really, really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. It's a great story. Thanks, Justin. No, I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon to feel better. All right. There you go. There he is. Off he goes, as my friend Mark Packer used to say. Off he goes. Look, Justin Pugh is great. How about that? Like, the NFL, isn't it supposed to be hard? Like, look, Nick and I can play. We're on a couch. We're hanging out. We're watching the game. Ah, oh, what? A call? Sure, I'm in. Let's go. I mean, Flacco did it. Flacco did it. I mean, Justin Pugh. There's a bunch of guys that did it. I mean, why not? Seems weird. I was trying to bait him because we've had a couple of football players from Syracuse tell my wife that, you know, she was their coach crush. Those of you that don't know my wife, she looks like Jennifer Aniston. Speaking of wives, you know who I really like? I really like the Kelsey brothers, and I like Jason Kelsey's wife. I think she's pretty funny. I think she's pretty cool. That's a good podcast. I like it. I do. Uh, let's go. bump it a bump it a bump it a bump it a bump it's the award everybody wants. They don't know they want it, 
But you know they want it. It is the damn awards. Don't at me awards. Number one, Caitlin Clark, 66 points from setting the all-time NCAA scoring record. Now, I don't know if you've watched any Caitlin Clark, but do yourself a favor. The other night, she shot one from a place that I've never seen a person shoot a basketball from. Like, there is a lot of exaggeration with shooters. Oh, man, he shot it from half court. Nah, he really did. Oh, man, he shot it from the logo. Nah, he really did. But Caitlin Clark, you know where coaches, the, 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 let me give you this. All right, here's the court, right? All right. So down here, the benches are here. The coach stands out here. She shot it from in front of where the coach was standing, and the coach was at the end of the bench. I've never seen anything like that during a game. Look, I've, we've all played horse, and we've all saw, you know, okay, fine, a pregame, fine. Everybody, you know, we've seen that. But I've never seen anybody in a game catch the ball and shoot it from where a coach stands closer, really close, to the end of the scores table. So the end of the scores table next to her bench is where she shot it. I've never seen it. And she made it. Like, if you miss that, then you're kind of a pig, right? I mean, if you shoot that shot and you miss, you're like, what are you doing? You know, but she made it. And she seems like she always makes it. And you know what? Cheryl swoops, big, angry, African-American lesbian. Yeah, I put them all in there because that's why anybody's paying attention to her. Well, she shoots 40 times a game. No, she doesn't, 22, which is which she should shoot 40 times a game. Let me explain basketball to you, particularly shooting in basketball. It's not a freaking democracy. If you know and are surprised when a guy misses or a girl misses, you let them shoot. If you're, well, yeah, he's going to make. You let them shoot. Everybody else doesn't get to shoot. We don't let the sort of kind of maybe, yeah, I think he's going to make guys shoot. We don't let it happen. No. I got two words for you, Joe Biden. Oh, hell no. Hell no. No. You got to be a person that we know it's going in when we shoot. Otherwise, go screen, go pass, go defend, dive on the floor for a loose ball, rebound. Uh, Losers of the week, Dartmouth basketball. My crack staff here, Nick and Nick, came up 693. Now, what does 693 have to do with Dartmouth basketball? Dartmouth basketball draws 693 fans to its game. It's six in like a thousand. It has never been relevant. There's a kid from Indiana named Brian Gilpin that actually wanted to come play at Indiana to see if he could develop. Brian Gilpin went over and became the all-time leading shot blocker at Dartmouth. He led the NCAA in block shots at Dartmouth. I thought that was pretty good. We sent him to a prep school. He wasn't quite good enough, but guess what? He went to Dartmouth. Got a great education. He's probably running a Fortune 500 firm right now because he was a seven-foot kid that was brilliant and led the country in block shots. God bless him. It's the only thing I've ever known about Dartmouth basketball. But Dartmouth basketball players, they want to unionize. They want to be a union. They want to control their practice time. They want to control everything. Good for them. But I'm telling you, if I was a president, I'd call up the other presidents and the Ivy League and go, do we really need basketball? I mean, it seems like it's going to be a headache. It seems like it's going to be a hassle. Let's make it a club sport. Play each other. That's what I would do. This is not a strange story, but it is the strangest story of the week. And the reason it's not a strange story, well, here, let me give you the story. The Eagles are going to kick off next year in Brazil. Here's why it's not strange, and 
obviously it is strange because they're going to Brazil. But it's not strange because I think we would all under I think we all understand to this point that the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, all trying to grow their sport internationally. There's money on them sandy beaches with women in thongs. There's money in them coca fields of Brazil or Medellin, Colombia. There's money on those shorelines, those beautiful beaches of Rio de Janeiro. And that money comes back to the NFL as they try to expand. Now, personally, I don't like this from this standpoint. It takes a home game away from somebody. I don't like it. However, I'm an Eagle fan. You know what? Hey, honey, let's go to Brazil. I am going to go to a naked beach. I am going to watch the Eagles. That'd be fun. I went to England with my family, my stepdaughter, my daughter, my wife, and we had a blast. Went to the Colts game. Had an absolute freaking blast. Going to a game of football, an an NFL game in a foreign country is kind of fun. I don't know why I'm continuing to do this today. It's like I'm swaying. I'll stop. It's annoying. I can feel it being annoying. I feel your eyes on me. Uh, But that is a strange story that isn't strange because I think we all understand it. Like if you told me, all right, here's the deal. NFL's going to Afghanistan. They're setting up a field. They're setting up a field. They're setting up a field. They're setting up a stadium. A field, a stadium, whatever it is, right in the middle of the desert. I'd be like, yeah, that's weird. But we would all go, yeah, yeah, that's what they're doing. Uh, worst week, it's got to be Nikki Haley, isn't it? You get 30% of the vote against Mike Pence and Tim Scott. Except there's a third candidate against you. And that candidate, none of the above. None of these people. That candidate gets 63% of the vote. Like Nikki Haley said it was rigged. Nikki Haley said all these things. It doesn't matter what Nikki Haley said. Dems the berries, baby. It's right there for you. You got 30. None of the above got 63. You lost to none of the above. Now, I think it's kind of crap that you go none of the above. But, hey, them's the rules. And Nevada doesn't mess around. Look, Nevada, you may think it's crap. And you get mad at the dealer, but if you don't get the right numbers or if you get black and it was red, they're going to take your money. It is a yes or no city. It is a state where we go, we win, we pay, we lose, we take. That's it. That's it. This isn't the country club where the fellas play and don't pay. No. Vegas, Nevada. It is what it is. That's a bad week, Nikki Haley. No, that's a really, really, really bad week. All right, top story today, and I like this, and we're going to review this because I think this is worth mentioning. You cannot, you cannot, as a news organization, just make up stories, or at least you shouldn't be able to. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Armenta family. Holden Armenta, a nine-year-old little boy, Native American, loves the Chiefs, lives out there, gets a headdress from a novelty store, paints one side of his face black, paints the other side of his face red, gets some necklaces, puts on a Chiefs jersey, and goes to the Chiefs football game. 
Seems pretty inconsequential. Seems pretty typical. Except that Deadspin and two of the worst human beings alive, Karan Phillips, who's a writer, and Julie DiCarlo, who's an idiot, they decide to make this a racial deal. What do they do? They show, and follow along with me, will you, Nick and guys? They show first a picture of little Holden with only one side of his face shown, which is black. So what do they do? They accuse young Holden of discrimination, racism, blackface. Stop. Except here's the actual picture right here. And the picture is a young boy, half colors of the Chiefs, by the way, black, half red. They didn't show it. They called him, and they tried to ruin this little kid's life. So what did the Armenta family do? After being threatened by Deadspin, if you can believe it, I'll get to that in a second, the Armenta family decided we are going to file a lawsuit. And this gets a little technical in the weeds, but so what? Here's what the lawsuit wants. Plaintiffs, which is the Armentas, respectfully request the court enter judgment in the plaintiff's favor and against the defendant, which is Deadspin, Julie DiCarlo, Caron Phillips, I don't even care if Julie DiCarlo isn't one of the defendants. They're going to lie. I'm going to lie. She's awful. Horrible. Anyway, awarding the Armenta family actual and presumed damages to be specifically determined at trial. They want a trial. You'll get to that later. Awarding the Armenta family punitive and or exemplary damages. Awarding the Armenta family a narrowly tailored injunction prohibiting the republication of any statement or image adjudicated to be false or defamatory. What they don't want is Deadspin to continue to put that up there. And they want the judge to stop because that's what Deadspin has done. Awarding the Armenta family at all costs uh, disbursements, fees, interests, as authorized by law, and such other and additional remedies as the court may deem just and proper. A jury trial is demanded. Now, I got to tell you. Unless you get some whacked-out feminists or some whacked-out racists or somebody whacked out, who in the hell is going to, on a jury, is going to go against this little kid showing up at a game? He's got all the facts. He just showed up at a game. In the meantime, the lawsuit also states that Deadspin, these god-awful people, threatened to sue the Armenta family. Yes, you heard that correctly. You guys defame us. You guys try to ruin a nine-year-old's life. And now you're going to sue us. Deadspin's lawyers threaten the Armada family with a counter-legal action, which Ruel and Shannon, the parents, attempt to hold Phillips and Deadspin accountable for their false and defamatory action. Deadspin did not retract the article, and it did not apologize. Yeah, I don't know the legalese. Now, Clay is saying, get ready for your bankruptcy, Deadspin. I know this. There's two sides to it. And I know this. If Deadspin is dumb enough to hire that racist-ass Phillips and that ridiculous victim, constant whining, bitching, moaning Julie DiCarlo then they're, well, I'm not convinced their lawyers are going to be great because their judgment on who they hire sucks, and I'm guessing their judgment on who their lawyers are sucks. 
So go get them, Armenta family. Crush their souls. And I hope some of that suing falls out on Julie DiCarlo, the rat. Just a ratty looking, awful, disgusting human being. You know how some people, when you look at them, like me, when you look at me, you're like, yeah, he's disgusting. And then you get to know me, and I, you know, I'm all lilies and sunflowers. And you're like, wow, I really like that guy. I don't know. Julie DiCarlo looks like 10 pounds of bad road, 10 miles of bad road. And then when you get to know her, she looks like 20. Horrible. Awful. And I hate that I've even spoken of her. This will be the last time I speak that god-awful woman's name. Unless, of course, she gets sued for millions. And then we will wear party hats, have streamers, and those things, you know, that unravel and come back. No, I wasn't smoking weed there. All right, when we come back, Jersey Joe, Jolton Joe, Chicago Joe, no, not Chicago Joe, Joe Biden, Speaks. Joe Biden speaks a lot. We'll talk about him. Also, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to no, Biden doesn't speak. We're also a guy walks in to an airplane and he forgot his pants. No, it's not a joke. It's truth. Hey, hang in there with us, everybody. Thanks for being here. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day. NBA trade deadline is today. We'll try to keep you up to date. But I got to tell you, uh, my people are telling me. There's not going to be many moves. Miles Bridges, he of beating up women, but still playing. Nick's the deal. Not going to be a whole lot of moves. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. You know, just as I said about the NBA, um, my guys. The Indiana Pacers have made a deal, and I don't like the deal. Buddy Heald to the Sixers for Marcus Morris and Furkan Korkmaz and three second-round picks. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I know this. My producer on my afternoon show rejoices. He just sent me a text. Buddy Heald, he hated Buddy Heald. Here's the deal. I'm curious about this because Buddy Heald is a vet. Buddy Heald is a guy that, well, truthfully, just kind of fits in. I mean, and the Pacers have one of these one of these teams that's young and it's going. And I don't know, man, you're messing up a little bit of chemistry there. And look, hey, Kevin Pritchard's done a wonderful job piecing the team together. I am going to say I trust you, Kevin Pritchard. But Buddy Heald has value. Buddy Heald's one of them guys can go get 20 once in a while. Nah, he does. He, he's one of them guys that can go get a bunch. Now, I don't know who the hell Montez Corkman is, but I'll tell you this. He's coming into a pretty good team. He is. He's coming into a pretty good team. The Sixers are on their way down. The Sixers suck. Uh, Imbib is out. And the Pacers are on their heels. They're sniffing three games out in the loss column. Korkmaz averaged eight minutes, two points, probably an expiring contract, and away we go. Uh, Miles Bridges, he of beating up his wife, uh, talent, no real game other than to shoot jump shots and dunk, which is a good game and it can make you a lot of money. He has turned down any request to be traded. It's amazing. So here's a guy that not once but twice 
has had problems beating up women or being involved, I shouldn't say being involved in physical contact with women once in front of a child. And yet, because NBA is so stupid, the NBA still lets this guy have say. I don't care about his con- – how does that idiot have say? He should be in jail is what he should be. But somehow, some way, he got some say. All right. Back in 1976, let me give you a little history lesson. The NBA merged with the ABA. The ABA had George McGinnis, Julius Irving, had a bunch of stars, and they came in to the NBA. Back in the day, Joe Willie Namath of the AFL beat the NFL in the Super Bowl. Thus came a merger. They merged. Now you got the NFC, the AFC, and all this happy horse bleed. Well, golf is the next one. Golf, the live tour. Saudis funding. A lot of guys left. A lot of money. $600 million for John Rahm. Now, rightfully so, there's talk of a merger. We saw it this past, I think it was this past summer, I don't know. But anyway, there's talk of a merger. We're going to merge. Everybody's coming together. Well, the whiny little guys with the PGA Tour, they want reparations and not in a good way. They want punishment to those that dare leave the tour. So two of the little white guys, Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas, don't think live players should get a free pass back to the PGA Tour. And they're correct, according to my guys. Why are they correct? Why can't you come back? Hey, look, uh, I guess you could say that the NBA teams that came into the NBA from the ABA had to pay taxes on it, had to pay a bunch of different, not penalties, but fees. I guess you could say the same thing in football. But why should these guys have to pay anything? I would say... Justin Thomas said that there's a handful of players on live that would make the tour a better place. But I'm definitely not in agreement that they should just be able to come back that easily. I'd have a hard time with it. I think a lot of guys would have a hard time with it. And I'm sure we don't need to convince you why we would have a hard time of it. Yeah, you need to convince me, you whiny, stuffed shirt poss. Like, why is Justin Thomas, Justin Thomas dropped that F word just like Tom Brenneman did, and Justin Thomas doesn't face anything. He gets to be a mouth. Why? Because he's on the right side of the media. All right? No, I do need convincing. You're just mad because they would have gone and got $600 million and still been able to come back. That's just professional jealousy. Look, in the buildings that are downtown, the high-rises, there are deals made every day. Some are good deals. Some are bad deals. So what? Get over it. Live tour guys are pains in my ass. The, not the live tour guys. The PGA tour guys are the pains in my ass. They're just professional jealousy. That's all there is. There's professional jealousy. These guys were smart enough to go make a bunch of money and still be able to play in the Masters, the PGA, the U.S. Open, the British, and others. And it pisses little whiny asses like Justin Thomas off. So what? If Justin Thomas went away tomorrow, the PGA Tour wouldn't even notice. If Justin Thomas went to live tomorrow, live would not be enhanced. There are You make a business decision. Thomas was offered money to go to live. He didn't take it. Now he would be mad, jealous, insecure enough to hold it against people that made the right business decision. Let's be honest. If you got a chance to go to live 
and make generational changing money and you are allowed to come back to the PGA Tour, that's a good business decision. I can't help it if Justin Thomas didn't want to make the same business decision. That's on him. As I said, every day in big buildings, in major cities, even small cities, deals are done. Sometimes you get the better end of the shtick. Sometimes you get the ass end of the shtick. Dems the berries. These whiny-ass PGA Tour guys, look. Don't make me not like the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour, I like. I like Sunday, final round, every shot matters, a lot of heat, last of the Cowboys. I mean, Miles Bridges can go beat up his wife, be kicked off the, out of the league for a while, come back, and make $30 million whether he makes a bucket or not. I like the Tour, where you got to fight for your right to earn scratch. Hmm. So drunk guy goes to the airport. Sounds like a joke, right? Drunk guy goes to the airport but forgets to put on one thing that seems to be important and is certainly required for going out in public. That one thing, you ask? Close. We got a couple shots of drunk naked guy. Drunk naked guy showing up at the airport is fun. Drunk naked guy, there he is. Hey, what's going on? Drunk naked guy. Hey, what? What are you doing? Why are you guys mad at me? I I don't know if, you know what? I don't know if I would be very comfortable doing that. You know, one of the things that I wake up to in a shiver is being naked in public. I do. I don't know. I have this dream that I'm naked. So you know where this is, right? You know where this is. This is in Florida. He showed up, he went to the counter, and everything was good. His toes were tapping, except for one thing. Didn't have clothes on. There's a legendary story of a defensive line coach with the Detroit Lions who got hammered, got naked, got in his car, and decided that he was going to Go to Wendy's. Pulls up in Wendy's. Guess what? He pulls up in Wendy's, and he doesn't have any clothes on. The Wendy's little girl is like, oh, man, come on. You got to put some clothes on. I mean, what are you doing? This guy's name is Martin Evtimov. He walked in the terminal. He breached the checkpoint. Like, I don't know how he's not, you know. Anyway, he's 36 years old. He just walked in. He walked in around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He entered a checkpoint, tried to open a door, tried to gain access to a restricted area. Next thing you know, security guy came over. They put him in a freaking, like, towel kind of a, like a surgical gown, you know what I mean? And then they let him out. He was booked into the Broward County Mental Health Center. And before he was going to go to jail... He had to be mentally tested. The judge, Chris Brown, no, not the slap Rihanna Chris Brown, requested that Evtimov undergo a mental health screening and was ordered to stay away from alcohol and the airport. He also told Evtimov that if he did not call a phone number related to pre-trial release services, 
a warrant would be issued for his arrest. You know, let's say, this is me. I don't know about you guys. But let's say I have this Catholic guilt. And once in a while, we'll go have beers. And once in a while, I say something stupid. And I get home, and I feel bad. Then I go to sleep, and I wake up about 5 in the morning, and I feel terrible. I'm like, oh, man. Every time I have beers, I feel terrible about something. But could you imagine? Could you imagine waking up? Could you imagine, like, all right, hey, looks nice day. Oh! I walked around that airport naked and I got arrested. Oh, man. Because you know how it goes. You know how it goes. When you wake up, at first, you're awake. And then your brain works and it's shuffling and you're sitting there and you're going, oh, crap. I got to deal with this today. Most of us have been there sometimes it's not even a matter of alcohol. Sometimes it's just a matter of something happened, you, you resolved it in your own mind, you went to bed, and then it all became all untangled after you fell asleep, and then you got to resolve it in your own mind again. Or maybe it's just me with this crushing, soul-crushing Catholic guilt. This soul-crushing, I can't believe. But anyway... Waking up naked. Uh, this is ridiculous. This is completely and totally out of control ridiculous, and I just don't understand it. Listen to this. Outrage came to Canada after Toronto, after collegiate women's volleyball game featured five men, biological males, dressed as women, participated in the volleyball match, and beat the crap out of their female competitors. The Orlando coach at uh, college, this is so ridiculous to me. Isn't this ridiculous to you? I mean, I get it because we talk about it. It's hating. It's putting lives in danger. Oh, shut up. It's a bunch of fake dudes being fake women, beating up on women because these guys suck and have no pride. And I don't know how anybody allows it. Hey, get over here. I'd grab him in the junk. Hey, there's a dick and balls there. You ain't playing in the women's game. Period. You want to make the full commitment and get him sliced off? I'll think about it. But if there's a packy there, you ain't playing in the men's or the women's game. Period. Sue me. And this coach, whoever the coach is, all right, let me get into it. The Ontario College Athletic Association has allowed this imbalance in their women's athletics to happen. One major concern about the inclusion of trans athletes in women's sports is the accompanying injuries that transpire from pitting one athlete against a physically superior athlete. Women have suffered serious repercussions from competing against trans athletes in volleyball last year, a story out of California, we had her on our show, involved a girl suffering a concussion after absorbing a spike ball from a trans player. The trans player later used the play in his highlight reel. These people are horrible. Leah Thomas is a bad person. And don't tell me that, well, you know what? 
you you are you 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 are uh, endangering life. Not endangering shit. Nothing. Not endangering nothing. If you're a woman, play against the women. If you're a dude, play against the dude. If you're transitioning from a woman to a man, and you got to play, and we got to let you play against the men. If you're transitioning from a man against a woman, and we got to play you. Play against the men. Why does everybody play against the women? Explain that to me. Trans athletes have not had any hormone therapy or surgery, these guys, to remove genitals. These dudes showed up, acted like women, put on the women's outfit, volleyball, and played, and nobody is pissed off. I am. Can you imagine? Like, yeah, I guess in this world, this is all acceptable. In my world, it's not. If my son came to me and said, hey, Dad, I'm going to go play against the women, I'd be like, that's cool, man. No, 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 no. I'm going to say I'm a woman, dress up as a woman, compete as a woman. No, you're not. Because you're a dude. What are you doing? Like, if he was a dude on a campus... And the women's basketball coach said, hey, we want, you know, we're getting guys together. This is what happens on college campuses. We're going to get some guys, and they're going to play against the basketball team in practice. Of course. That'd be great. But that ain't this. All right, watch this. We got to show you this. A massive moose charges skiers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Don't ever forget, nature ain't your boy. Nature ain't your friend. Let's have a look. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Go faster. That is fun, though. But I tell you this, scares the hell out of me. There's a legendary story. Like, I didn't even like dogs. Like, I was in my pool in the backyard, and the neighbor dog came over. I looked at a buddy of mine. I go, how do we know this thing's not going to eat us? And they're like, cuz, idiot, this is a dog. This is a trained dog, you dummy. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. How do we know the dog's not going to eat us? Animals in the wild, nobody has more respect for than I. My wife, we have a slingshot. She took a couple shots at a coyote that was in the back of our house. I ain't mad at it. Probably shouldn't say it. I think Statue of Limitations has wore off. Or if it hasn't, what are you going to do? There was a hawk that was attacking us. Those of you, I don't know if our show started when the hawk was around, but it put me, I had to go to the emergency room. It scratched my face, smacked me on the side of the head. I threw a shovel at it. Next thing you know, my daughter's like, hey, Dad, you're bleeding down your face, and I'm in the emergency room getting a tetanus shot. I'm not going to tell you how that hawk died, but let's just put it this way. It ain't around no more. But it's not in a cornfield in Rensselaer like the mob used to do. And it's not running around at Grandma's farm. It's just gone. What can I tell you? G-O-N-N, gone. All right, a couple of other things right quick before we get to Woke uh, Dope. I'm still stunned 
by over $7,000 to get into the Super Bowl to watch the game. I wouldn't pay it. People ask, what's the most you would pay? I don't think I'd pay $1,000. I don't. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Don't know, but I don't. All right, another trade. Listen to this. The Jazz are finalizing a trade to send Kelly Olytic to and guard Oche Agbaji to the Toronto Raptors for Kyra Lewis, Otto Porter, and a first-round pick. Wow. All right. All right. A first-round pick involved. So Kelly Olytic, Oche Agbaji for Kyra Lewis, Otto Porter, and a 2024 first-round pick. Here's the deal, man. Otto Porter, coming out of Georgetown after his freshman year, was like the third pick in the draft. He was pretty good. He was. He was like, and he's been in the league for 100 years. Like, how long has this guy been in the league? This dude has been in the league a while. So Akbaji, who averages five points, why are we giving up? Is Olytic that good? Why is anybody giving up a first-round pick? Huh? Why is I don't look, I don't know. I think all of it, look, here's what you do. You go to the best league overseas, you find the best player, you put him on your team, and you figure it out. I mean, what are these draft choices really worth? Like who are you drafting in college basketball right now that would excite you? Edie? I don't know. Maybe. Seriously. Who's going to be like the guy that, man, I got to have that guy on my team? I don't know. I don't think anybody. Like Zach Eady 100 years ago would have been the first pick in the draft. Zach Eady would have been the guy. But now, you tell me. I mean, if either of those two guys from Indiana is drafting me, uh, I, I, okay. I mean, if they get drafted, they ain't playing. Oh, it's interesting times. Woke me. Dope me. Now, please. Love it. I wish I could hear it. All right, man. <laughs> San Francisco Walgreens introduces a new frequent looter rewards punch card. Man, you can't go in, apparently, in San Francisco. And we know this to be happening. Apparently in San Francisco, everything is behind glass. See, when I grew up and you went in Gary, Indiana, and you pumped gas and you wanted to go in the convenience store, here's what it looked like. Here's the door. You open the door. Everything is behind bulletproof glass. Everything at the convenience store at the gas station when I grew up. You would put your money in. They would spin it. You know, you say, all right, I want chips, uh, whatever. And that's how the transaction was. You go to Milan's Pub in Gary. You hit the buzzer. They look at you. If they knew you, they let you in. They didn't care if you're black, white. If they knew you, they let you in. If they didn't know you, you ain't coming in. One night at Milan's Pub, my buddy Kevin Custer and I are just sitting at the bar having a beer, minding our own business. Guy gets butt, comes in, looks. Marty buzzes him in. Guy comes in, two guys, all bloody. One of them's holding a gun. Marty gets a shotgun out from behind the bar. Next thing you know, the guy starts coming around the bar, and Marty is going to shoot this guy. 
And my boy KC and I are sitting there going, oh, it's a My eyes are burning. What is going on here? They're all bloody. I got to call the cops. Marty said, there's a phone. Call the cops. Next thing you know, guy puts his gun in the back or wherever he did. They leave. It's a true story. Marty's like, let's have a beer. We got it. What are we doing? A little, little place right on Broadway. Next thing you know, three, four hours later, across the street at the Clark Station, there's body bags, a couple murders. I don't know if it was those guys. I don't know if they did the murdering. I don't know if they got murdered. But holy hell, that's the world that Gary, Indiana, that I grew up in was. But that world's coming everywhere. You can't even go to Walgreens. I went to the little CVS down the street. I go, hey, man, why are razors behind glass? He goes, oh, idiots coming in here, stealing all the time. Did you see the Apple store where the guy just came in and started stealing everything? Somebody ought to close the door. Bronx tail. Now you just can't leave and beat the absolute shit out of the guy. Just saying, Next. Yeah, yeah, that's what Joe is doing. A nice little cup of Joe is Joe Biden giving us all the finger. Uh, We are the only country in the world. Listen to this. I saw this the other day. Does anybody tax their people and send us the money? Anybody? Anywhere? Like anybody taxing us and are their people and sending it to us? You know the answer. The answer is a hell no. A hell no. Imagine like Ukraine. I mean, think of how ridiculous this is. Tax us to send it to fund a war that maybe isn't even a war. Next. Yeah. Yeah. El Gore's been talking about it for years. Al Gore has been just absolutely insane, with, and he's made a ton of money. I mean, he, dry, he flies around in his King Air, and he goes and gives speeches on carbon footprint, global warming, everything. And you know what? Puxatawney Phil, just a better, more accurate guy. Hey, last, last thing. You know what? I got something for you here. I got two things for you. Number one, we're moving closer to the NCAA tournament. And as we're moving closer to the NCAA tournament, do yourself a favor, watch this show, because we're going to have great guests on. But more than that, I'm going to start telling you some teams to watch. And one of those teams is a team that last year, Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is no joke. And a kid from Gary, Janelle Davis, is killing it. He's a first-team All-American. But as we get closer to the NCAA tournament, Understand a couple things, and this is for you old Indiana people. 20 wins does not get you in the NCAA tournament. Used to be 20 wins will get you in. Not anymore. The fact that your team won one road game all year does not get you in the NCAA tournament. It just doesn't. Understand, if you really want to understand the NCAA tournament, do yourself a favor. Don't bother. Don't bother. Don't even try. Because you'll never, because you're looking at your team, how they played against this team, how did that team play? No, no. Here's what you do save yourself a lot of hassle. Don't even pay attention till Selection Sunday. But if you're going to pay attention, this is the show to watch. Tonight, 
I don't even know who's playing, but last night, let me give you a gambling tip. So last night, I knew Alabama was going to beat Auburn. I bet a lot of money on Alabama beating Auburn. I think the line was three and a half because I got the game after it started and all, uh, all, uh, Alabama was up on Auburn. I knew Auburn was going to whoop them. I just did. So I bet my house. I took Auburn. I gave the three. I won. Let me give you a Danny D tip. Stop there. Stop. Right there. Go and proceed no farther. Period. Nothing. No farther. What did I do? Oh, I'm smarter than everybody. Wisconsin surely is going to beat Michigan. They didn't. Bradley surely is going to come back and beat Evansville. They didn't. Xavier in Wisconsin in a parlay, money line, no brainer. They didn't. So I took a couple hundred buck win and turned it into a loss. Don't do that. I swear to God, every stinking time I get greedy, I lose. Greed will kill you. Last, last thing. Of all the college basketball teams in the world, did you know that Mike Davis, former head coach at Indiana, has not won a game yet? Did you know that the Detroit Titans, which is where which is where Mike Davis coaches, they are 0-4 the year. 0-4. Now, let me say that again. Over the year. It is February. It's damn near Valentine's Day. Over the year. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Enjoy the day. We'll see you tomorrow.